up our gospel reading with just a brief uh, passion reading, kind of a little preview here of Lent, a passion reading from Mark chapter 14. This is where woman anoints Jesus. So while Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper and was lying at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of perfume, real nard and very expensive. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some who were there felt annoyed and said to one another, Why was the perfume wasted like this? This perfume could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were grumbling at her. Let her alone, Jesus said. Why should you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you always have with you, and you can help them whenever you want to. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She came ahead of time to pour the perfume on my body to prepare it for burial. I tell you, wherever the good news is preached in the whole world, certainly what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Well, May 18th is going to be the 40th anniversary of what? Mount St. Helens. And I know this area wasn't in the path of the initial plume that came out. For what? No, it's not a biblical question. You only get candy if you answer biblical questions. I understand this. the Willamette Valley wasn't in the pathway of the, of the initial blast that came out. But I heard later that the winds changed and you did get some ash in this area. Is that true? Okay. Did any of you get ash in your eye? No? Well, Lane, my goodness. Well, if you didn't get ash in your eye from Mount St. Helens, you probably had it in your eye from something else, right? Fire, campfire, whatever. It's hard to see clearly with ashes in your eyes, isn't it? Our inborn sinfulness is like ashes to our spiritual vision, don't you think? We look at what is good and distort its purpose, or we look upon what is beautiful and misjudge its value. When Jesus says in Matthew, when you give to the needy, he assumes Christians will do just that. Give to the needy. He would never want us to do something bad, so it follows that giving to the needy must be a good thing. Jesus also says, You always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But we sinners misjudge the purpose of such good deeds. Jesus criticizes the hypocrites in the synagogues and in the streets for conspicuously giving to the needy in order to be praised by others. Likewise, they prayed these long-winded prayers and made a show of fasting in order to be seen by others. In being praised and seen by others, they received their rewards. You know, they received what they were looking for. They got what they were looking for, right? To be held in high esteem by the people. What an entirely self-serving and godless approach to good works. It pays no thought to our Father in heaven. On the other hand, those who come to the Father through faith 
in his son, view good works as opportunities to serve the neighbor and please God. In fact, they aren't even seeking a reward. Jesus never says that rewards are why Christians do what we do. He promises the Father will reward the almsgiving, prayer and fasting of his children, but reward is not our motivation, is it? But our old Adam, or as Luther would say, Madam Wiseacre in us, misjudges this point of Scripture. Sin's deep delusion is that good works must be done in order to be rewarded with eternal life. This is the worst misjudgment a person can ever make. And it seems doubly absurd that 500 years after the Reformation, we Lutherans are still preaching this. Wouldn't you think by now, with the world that's changed so much, there would be some new chief concern among us needing to be addressed at every occasion? But no. Our chief concern is still justification by faith, not works. And it's not because there are so many Christian denominations and church bodies that do believe that works save. No, that's just the, re- the result of a much bigger symptom. We all sin, even the Lutherans, especially the Lutherans, maybe. I don't know. I do know, thanks be to God, that on Ash Wednesday, his word makes painfully clear our wretchedness and desperate need for the forgiveness of our sins. We need, what we need most isn't to give to the needy or do other good work. We need the Lamb of God to take away our sin. Do you remember what happened two days before the Passover festival, the year Jesus was betrayed? Two days before the Passover. Anyone remember what happened? The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest Jesus and to kill him. That happened a couple of days before the Passover. I know, there's lots of other stuff that happened, but I I was looking for that that thing. Jesus knew this. He knew they were coming to get him, and he told his disciples that his death was drawing near. But unlike Jesus, the guests at Simon's dinner party didn't have their mind on the cross when an uninvited woman barged in. And she broke in and broke a jar of perfume and dumped it on Jesus' head. Now, I think in maybe some artwork that we have seen or, you know, passion plays or movies, whatever. You know, popular imagination tends to depict this woman's act as serene and ceremonious. But the text suggests a suddenness and clumsiness to what she did. Alabaster flasks weren't cheap and they could be reused. But she smashes the one she's got open and renders it useless for the future. Oh, and here's another thing. You've got to wonder, where did she get this stuff anyways? It's 300 denarii worth? We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. But I don't picture her slowly and gently pouring it on Jesus' head, head, but I think she (laughs) drenched him with the stuff. That's just the force of of the text. You know, he could have been sitting there blinking to squeeze the the drops of oil out of his eyelids. 
But then, like I said, there's the value of this stuff, right? If it really could have been sold for more than 300 denarii, you know, if one of the disciples wasn't exaggerating about this, that would be roughly a year's wages for a day's labor. At the modest wage of $12.50 an hour, you can get at most fast food restaurants today, 300 days wages convert to $30,000. Before the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples estimated that 200 denarii worth of bread would fill the crowd's hungry stomachs. Just imagine how many people you could feed with 300 denarii back then. They could have had the most sumptuous royal feast. And that's why the guests at Simon's dinner party were saying among themselves, what is wrong with this woman? They were outraged by her wastefulness, indignant that so many would go hungry because of her clumsy impulsiveness. But they had misjudging eyes, didn't they? Jesus, however, always sees clearly. There's no ash in his spiritual vision. He comes to the woman's defense and tells her critics to back off. Jesus recognizes her clumsy, unceremonious, impulsive action as a beautiful work, as preparation for the most beautiful, noble, good deed in human's history ever. His suffering, death, and burial. It is good to give to the needy, to do good to the poor. But when the incarnate Son of God is sitting at your dinner table, preparing to suffer and die for the sin of the world in a couple of days, then and also be hastily entombed and anointed, then 300 denarii worth of perfume is no waste, is it? It's no waste, but is rightly devoted to his service. See, what the dinner party guests couldn't see was the sheer uniqueness of it all, the tremendous weight of the moment they were witnessing. For God's anointed one would soon give his body and shed his blood to give his life as a ransom for all people. To be the once-for-all Passover lamb who takes away the sin of the world. This moment was not business as usual, even in moral terms. I'm sure that God the Father generously found other ways for the poor and the needy there in Bethlehem and Jerusalem on that day, even as he was about to pour out the priceless blood of his beloved son as a saving, healing balm for sinners. It's always a a risk when I say balm in the service because we think of balm. No, balm, yeah? Got the A-L-M in there. That healing ointment. Healing oil, perfume, balm. That's what Jesus has given you and me. The Son of God went to the cross willingly to offer His life for for yours and the lives of all sinners. What an aroma that perfume must have made in that house. You know, like the way a a, a dozen Easter lilies in a small room permeates the air with the smell of resurrection. Sometimes it's more, it's too powerful for some people. Just imagine what it was like in Simon's house. In just a few days, Jesus would be hanging on a cross. And the sweat 
and blood poured down from Jesus' face. Do you think he could still smell the perfume that had been prepared for him for, for burial that that woman poured on? You think he took a shower or a bath before he was arrested? I doubt it. If she dumped that stuff on his head, his hair was probably still slick from the stuff. When I was in the Middle East, a street vendor poured that stuff on my head, and it was the cheap stuff, and I couldn't get the smell out for weeks, even after shampoo and showers every day. So Jesus, I'll bet, would have still had that aroma on him of the burial ointment, that expensive nard. It would have been fitting because St. Paul writes, Christ loves, loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The smell of Christ's atoning work turned away the wrath of God against you and me and sinners once and for all. But there's more. In holy baptism, you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb and anointed with the Holy Spirit to sanctify. That means keep you in the, in the true faith and makes you pleasing to the Father. The beautiful robe of Christ's righteousness has become yours so that you need no longer fear death and damnation. The power of sin, death, and Satan has been shattered like that broken alabaster flask. And you and I have been freed from the realm of darkness to live forever in the kingdom of life. And for the rest of our earthly lives, to love God with all our heart and to love our neighbor as ourselves and do good for them. Now, there was another time Jesus was anointed by a woman earlier in his ministry at the house of a Pharisee. Luke reports that the woman was known around town as a sinner. And she anointed and wiped the feet of Jesus's, Jesus with her hair. And Jesus concludes that story by saying her loving action towards him was evidence that she had been forgiven much. And for the one who has been forgiven much, loves much. This has to be the case for the woman in Mark, who dumped the perfume on Jesus' head. It has to be the same thing. And now, wherever the gospel of forgiveness of sins is proclaimed in all the world, this woman will be remembered for her faith in Jesus, for her love for him, and for her preparation for his death and burial. Why doesn't Mark give us this woman's name? Well, she's not the point. I mean, some, some traditions have it as Mary, uh, not his mother, but another Mary. There were a lot of women named Mary in ancient Judea, Miriam. But her anonymity, at any rate, also teaches us about how to approach good works. She has done what she could, Jesus says. That is, she simply lived out her vocation, and on that day, she was called to do the beautiful work of anointing Jesus before his burial. She didn't do it to be praised and seen by others. Jesus, you know, he would have certainly called her out on that. Nor was she seeking a reward. But she had her eyes on him. And that's the theme of our, that's going to be our theme this Lent, eyes on Jesus. 
And even though as a sinner she was not worthy of anything from the Father, she has gone on to receive her eternal reward, all for the sake of Jesus whom she anointed. You are also called to do what you can in your various vocations. I, I know some of you may be retired or some of you may be, may, may be in school, right? But your vocation is whatever situation the Lord puts you in each and every day. That's your vocation. It can change from day to day. It's not necessarily your heart-set career. You are set free from the enslaving misjudgment that you should do good works, either to be praised by men or to be justified by God. In Christ, you received temporal and eternal rewards that you could never earn, but have received by grace alone. That takes all the pressure off and places you under his easy yoke and light burden. So, on this Ash Wednesday, you and I, we have repented. Now believe. Believe the gospel. Believe the good news that Jesus died and rose for you. Every day, repent and believe the gospel. And then rejoice that you have been judged forgiven and righteous in the eyes of the one who judges justly. Amen. May the peace of Christ, which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.